I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the program, we speak to Dr. David G. Harper about starting 2020 with a new diet, the Bio Diet. Dr. Ward Plunett also sits down with us to discuss grid cells, what they are, and why they matter. We also chat senior parkour. It's not an oxymoron, and it can be really helpful. Finally, of course, finally, procrastination. All of this coming up right now. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you were anything like me over the holidays, you were on a feeding frenzy. Um, And that's what the holidays are, apparently. And so then it shows up in your butt and your hips and your abdomen. And you don't feel as great. You're not as energized and maybe not even as productive. And you say, it's time to change this. Why don't I go on the bio diet? Joining me in the studio is Dr. David G. Harper, author of The Bio Diet book, a great book. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, pleasure to be here and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. I see you haven't gained an ounce since the last time I saw you. <laughs> well, actually, uh, January is dryuary for me, and I always lose a pound or two when I, uh, oh when I refrain God. from alcohol. So I've already lost a couple of pounds. He's 40 pounds, let me tell you, soaking wet. <laughs> and I noticed you didn't say that about me. But anyway. You always oh, look you lovely. <laughs> um, you don't look like you've gained. Anyway, um, so here we are. What I've decided to do is to, is I'm very interested in, in health and and living the healthiest life possible. And there's lots of information out there about keto diets. And, mm-hmm. and you've, you're a researcher and an educator and an advocate for healthy living and in this bio diet, as you call it. And it's the appropriate way to do the keto diet because you have... Um, I've been investigating this and you actually have a lab and you've researched this. And so anyway, you're the man here. And um, so I thought if anyone, and I put this on LinkedIn today, that we were going to do a little 12 week series, five or 10 minutes each Sunday evening. And it's a journey. If you want to come on this journey with me, because I'm going to do it too. Um, change my lifestyle from eating milk duds, and <laughs> which was my last thing I ate. Um, anyway, eating poorly, carbs and sweets and whatever, and just a little bit out of control. I did have a cold, and I went with the feed a cold, starve a fever kind of thing. So unfortunately, I didn't have a fever. Um, but so you're going to help educate and keep us on track. And so I, I put it on LinkedIn and I said, you know, email me with your, I asked for height, weight, and abdominal girth. And you as a listener can do the same if you're interested in joining me on this journey and the other people who replied already. I have actually had a few um, people who have responded, who have emailed me, asking me what measurement they needed. I'm like, not that one. I need your, uh, your height, your weight, and um, uh, abdominal girth. Uh, if you want to check your blood pressure, but we are going to recommend that you see your physician before you start this. And so Dr. Harper is here in the studio. And this also comes with prizes because we like competitions. I like, I, I have a bit of a competitive nature and I like to give out prizes. Maybe one will be a womanizer, who knows? Um, but uh, so we'll journey along and hopefully we'll interact together and you can email me or, or Dr. Harper um, as to what challenges you might be facing or if you have any questions about it at all. Um, so anyway, Dr. David G. Harper, um, 
it would be great if you took over the mic now <laughs> and talked a little bit about this. Well, uh, so so fun that you're uh, joining us on this journey. Um, Such a blast! Yeah, what, I, what we thought we'd do, we talked about this over the over the festive season, and uh, thought what we'd do is take people through the 12 weeks or so of the uh, the bio diet journey, which is uh, roughly how long it takes to successfully adopt and sustain a, a well formulated ketogenic diet. Um, so this goes hand in hand with the book that we released this year called Bio Diet, and um, uh, you can uh, you can preview the book at, at our site biodiet.org. And one of the things I was going to offer is um, for anybody who wants to ask questions, they can send a question to me anytime during the twelve weeks or so of this journey uh, to David at biodiet.org. And what we'll do is we'll um, try and answer all the questions we can on air, and we'll also offer um, a prize of uh, a free hour of counseling. Oh. Uh, randomly drawn from from the people that's that counseling questions. from you not me right from me well <laughs> we could team up on that too but yeah so so this is um really the what you're going to learn is well it, you know we just went through the festive season and as you say people usually now turn their minds to the diet season uh they want to try and uh, maybe lose that weight that they've gained but this is not really a short-term calorie restricted uh effort this is a lifestyle change and people have to be prepared for that so the first week next week what we're going to do is, is talk about how you prepare, the importance of making a visit to your physician. So you can, uh, if you haven't had any blood work done in the last six months or so, uh, make an appointment with your physician. Uh, let them know that this is what you're planning to do because ketogenic diets are not for everyone. There, okay. are, there are some people for whom it is contraindicated, and that's very important too. Okay. We have a caller on the line. We Great. have Rosie from Vancouver. Hello, Rosie. Hi there. Hi. Do you have a question for the doctor? I do. Um I've done lots of attempts at the keto diet and I fall off because I start craving carbs and sweets, mostly carbs. I can do without sweets, but um, I can do it for like three days, four days. And all of a sudden I'm just like, if I don't have something like bread or rice or something and I end up sabotaging. So what can I do when I'm craving carbs? I know I have to wait a while, but I don't seem to make it. Great yeah. question. No, it's a, it's a very common thing that happens to people because you're making a change and, and we don't really like change <laughs> of any sort, right. most of us. Most people are eating the things that they want to eat all the time. So what you have to really do is is, is come up with a, a plan and that's why this is a 12-week uh, journey and you really need to have some um, commitment to that to that plan and there is no like magic cure for cravings. You could have sugar cravings or carb cravings, but what I tend to do is, um, if it's a food craving, is, is replace that craving for carbs with something that you haven't been eating a lot of, like some nice um, grass-fed butter uh, or something like that, that, that will actually provide a lot of calories and provide a lot of satisfaction to your brain uh, that's now looking for that thing that's been missing. So, that, so a lot of those things we're going to be addressing uh, in, the, in the days and weeks to come. Um, but uh, essentially, first, you know, planning and commitment are two keys to any kind of lifestyle change. And so we will be talking about that and the sustainability, not just the short term. But that, let me ask you a question if I can. Um, where did you hear about ketogenic diets and where did you learn how to do it? Um, my, my massage therapist, my old one, has lost over 100 pounds on it oh, and fantastic. swears by it. And then I know a few other people that have been losing weight fairly rapidly. And so th those were my attempts. And I probably have 25 pounds to lose. And, um, you know, I hear good things about it. And then I hear a few people say, if you don't stick to it, you gain it back. And then I go, oh, well, I, I probably will go back to it. So I might as well go back now. Cause I'm so yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> I don't have great discipline. <laughs> 
It, it's, it's a good time for sure. But yeah, I think, I think the important thing is that you have accurate, uh, scientifically validated uh, evidence-based information. And that's what we've provided in BioDiet. And that's what I'm going to be providing to all the listeners over the next 12 weeks. So hopefully you'll join in. Yeah, Rosie, hopefully you'll join in our little journey. I have one question. What do I spread my butter on? Yeah, well, we don't. It's not so much. It, it's not so much the butter you put on your toast. It's the toast you put on your butter. So, right. But you said butter is a good option if I'm yeah. craving something. What do I do with that butter? Just I just it? eat it with a knife. Yeah, you should. You can. You can actually uh, just have some high fat uh, cheese or dairy or um, even nuts are really good sometimes. But uh, it, it's a process that will uh, will help you through. Okay, and one last question. I really try not to give up alcohol when I'm dieting because I know I'm going to go right back to it. Is there a safe or lower carb alcohol if I had to have a drink? Very good question. And uh, yeah, there are. Um, We do have to abstain from alcohol for the first couple of weeks. And there's a few reasons uh, for that that we'll talk about. But uh, I gave up drinking beer, sadly, because I love beer. Uh, I'll have one or two Guinnesses per year. But um, yeah, I've switched to drinking wine, which is lower. And and even some of the uh, hard liquors like scotch and so on have very low carbohydrate loads. So um, you can uh, have moderate amounts of alcohol. Um, Of course, the usual precautions if there's alcoholism in your family, if you're going to be operating a motor vehicle or something like that, you don't want to partake. But uh, yes, you can you can drink moderate amounts of alcohol and stay in ketosis. Okay, great. Thank you. Rosie, thanks for the call. Great questions. Good luck on that. And, and you know, abdominal fat, which a lot of people have because of the way we've been eating for the last 40 years, a lot of processed foods, may lower testosterone levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing like sex to be a motivator. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if the endothelium is damaged by mm-hmm. the abdominal fat, men may not uh, release enough nitric oxide and the molecule that signals the surrounding muscles to relax so that blood vessels can dilate and create an erection. So a lot of men who have um, extra belly fat are at risk of erectile dysfunction, and and this has to do with the endothelium and the nitric oxide. And also the inflammation. So this abdominal fat, and we call it visceral fat, so it's not the stuff under your skin, it's the stuff within your muscle walls, so we call that visceral fat. It's in and around your organs, and that is highly inflammatory. About half the cells by number in there are inflammatory cells called Macrophages and they're and the kinds of compounds that they release do all kinds of nasty things in your body, including inflammation that's systemic. So, so including the blood vessels that you're speaking of. So, how did how do you tell the difference between this belly fat and this visceral fat? Oh, the vis- uh, belly fat, visceral fat. Well, oh. it, the, the, if you just pinch under the skin and you can feel some fat, that's that's just uh, that's just subcutaneous fat. That doesn't yeah. really correlate with any kind of health consequences. It's the you know when you're starting to get big, especially that mid abdominal like fat, the barrel, pot, pot belly, the yeah. pot belly kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, it's not attractive. Let me say that. <laughs> so if you're having difficulty, I'm sure it is to someone. Where <laughs> I guess so. Okay, maybe it's not me, um, but that doesn't matter. Okay, so um, so how let how would we one start this? What would be your right. recommendation to start this bio diet? Okay, so we're going to start in hard next week. So next Sunday, yes. I'll be giving you the first things. But what you should do is make an appointment with your physician mm-hmm. because I, I only work with people who work with physicians. So since we're working with the whole crowd there, make an appointment. Make sure that there's no contraindications for you individually and that it's appropriate for you. Um, and you should get, uh, if you want to, you can go to our website, biodiet.org. There's some information there. You can order a book, which will be working through the same processes that is in the book. And um, all you really need is a notebook and a tape measure for next week. I'm going to tell you a few things to buy. 
Um, I'll be eating being foods. Th- yeah, well, when you say a few things to buy, like keto sticks, for example, which will help okay. measure your ketones in the short term. Uh, they're a kind of a proxy for the ketones in your blood. Um, we're going to be uh, planning out the journey, so I'll be telling you the, what's going to happen. I'll, the most important thing, perhaps, about this is you'll be learning why ketogenic diets work. So I'll be explaining the science behind ketogenic diets. So it's not just how to, because the how to is pretty easy. Just cut out, you know, sugar and starch, and 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 uh, replace it with healthy fats. But it's it's the why, and I think the more people are empowered with understanding why ketogenic diets work in their in terms of their own physiology, their own health. And this is what I've called the, the axis of illness, which is inflammation, insulin resistance, and, and, and obesity. They all work synergistically to make each other worse. And so what uh, a ketogenic diet does, a well-formulated one, is it, is it actually reverses all three of those things. So it addresses insulin resistance, obesity, and inflammation collectively. And we'll learn about what these magical molecules called ketones do. They do all kinds of wonderful things. We'll be hearing perhaps some things later about what ketones do in the brain. Um, and, and, uh, and we'll also learn how not, not only um, prevents chronic disease, but also we're now learning how it treats chronic disease. And I work on the effects of ketogenic diets on cancer, uh, but there's uh, very good evidence that ketogenic diets are effective for many people with type 2 diabetes in particular. Uh, it's been used for over 100 years for epilepsy, and uh, all the markers for cardiovascular disease uh, seem to improve for most people on ketogenic diets. So we'll be talking about the real long-term health benefits, not just this short-term weight gain, uh, weight loss rather, but, but you can expect if you're a woman typically to lose 10 to 15 pounds in this 12 weeks, and if you're a man, probably 20 to 25 pounds. That's typical, and uh, then we are going to talk about how you keep that off. Fantastic. Well, I'm so excited about this journey and I'm not going to overeat this week. I'm not going to eat all the junk food no, in my I want, house you, you before. can eat what you want this yeah. week. <laughs> we'll start next week. No, I'm going to lose five or six pounds before we start next week. Dr. David G. Harper, thank you so much for joining me. The, it's the bio diet. Email me nursetalk at hotmail.com if you want to join in. Send me your height and weight and abdominal girth and, and we'll go from there starting next week. So I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much. If you have any questions for my previous guest, Dr. David G. Harper, you can email him, david at biodiet.org. That's david at biodiet.org. I think it's important because uh, we were talking after the program and he mentioned that a lot of people do the bio or, bio or keto diet, but they actually don't, they never learned how to do it. They just heard somebody else, uh, they heard of someone else who did it and lost, you know, a hundred pounds and but they didn't actually know exactly how the bio diet was done. And I like you to do learn to do things the right way. Um, so I'm looking forward to my little journey with the bio diet. I get, I get some negative feedback from some people who tell me that uh, I only talk about things that affect young people. So um, I try and uh, I'm trying, I try to be mindful of that and cognizant. And whenever I see something that is uh, something that would be of interest for seniors, I talk about that. So parkour, have you heard of that? P-A-R-K-O-U-R. It's for older adults and it helps seniors gain confidence and balance. And, you know, of course, this, um, this word would conjure up uh, images of, of, uh, you know, young guys leaking from, uh, leaping from rooftop to rooftop and trying to get that perfect Insta photo. Um, and with that, senior parkour might seem like a bit of an oxymoron, but parkour is actually about traversing obstacles as efficiently and fluidly as possible. And so this can be something, um, you know, you can utilize the, um, the city rails, um, 
and you know the, the reason that it's difficult to be doing this on top of buildings is of course people have a fear of falling you don't want to do that and that's the number one thing that a senior does not want to do because that leads to all sorts of troubles hip fractures and um but they, you know, this parkour involves climbing stairs. Um, they may balance themselves like on a balance beam, but on a curb. Um, and so the more people limit their movements, the the smaller their world becomes. So people become very afraid, especially as they age, and they're afraid that they're going to fall. Understandably so. The risk is very high, especially with people who leak urine, for example. They are at risks of falls and fractures. People who um, are immobile, lead a sedentary lifestyle, they are at risk of falls and fractures. Oftentimes people will add some devices, wheelchairs and, and walkers, and that will also limit their, their world and their ability to be mobile. So um, this uh, program, this parkour fitness, is a, is a fitness and falls prevention program that we're seeing in different parts of the world, um, and it's based on movement philosophy. Uh, so it's been designed by professionals with background in fitness and exercise science. And, and so they use fun and effective movement to teach older adults to traverse their environment confidently and creatively. And a lot of this is using um, different aspects of parks, for example, um, or um, rails in, in the city. Um, it helps to build strength. It develops cardiovascular fitness. And, you know, as people age, it's important that people... Uh, continue to exercise, continue to work out. It's great to work out outside. It's been shown to reduce depression. Um, you know, it allows people to enjoy the sun and nature and fresh air and it allows people to build relationships and, and perhaps even meet somebody. Um, it's a social activity and, and oftentimes people will make meet new friends. So this is a great way. Um, you may or may not have this in your city just yet, um, but you may want to bring this to the attention of the recreational people in the city to get programs such as this um, uh, going in the city. It will actually help to reduce admissions to hospitals, um, and it can be a very beneficial activity. So if you hear of that parkour, you may want to participate. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about your memory um, and uh, the grids in your brain. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program today. Uh, if you are one of those people that uses GPS religiously like I do, you might think twice about that, maybe. Joining me in the studio is Ward Plunet, PhD neuroscientist, who studies these ty types of things, especially cell grids in your brain. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Ward. And Happy New Year to you. Oh, happy, happy to New be here Year. and listen to all these interesting conversations. Oh, well, fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me. So um, very interesting article that you sent me today about how our brains work and what that means for memory. And so... We've talked about very, two very practical subjects today, and so this is maybe a little bit abstract, but I'll try to bring it back into something that maybe we can implement. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yes, we've had some very interesting subjects tonight, and um, so you'll bring this back into how that relates, I guess. Lots of people are concerned about their memories, or their memory. Yes, including myself, of course, um, <laughs> all of us. Um, so these grid cells, um, so first we're talking about the hippocampus. And so the hippocampus we know in the brain, kind of in the middle part of the brain, is very important for memory. 
But it's not only in memory, it's also for spatial navigation. So how you get around, your GPS. So our hippocampus is, is playing a big role in this navigation. Um, but we also know it's in memory because of famous studies from the 50s of a patient who had, to had, had his hippocampus removed and he, he formed new, no new, new memories. He had old memories but couldn't form new ones. And so now we're wondering, like, okay, what's the relationship between spatial navigation and memory? And we know in since maybe the 70s that we have these place cells of, okay, the big rock beside the river. These neurons will light up every time I go to that same location because I find fish there or something. But now we're talking about a more fundamental cell called grid cells. And think of a honeycomb, so a hexagon shape. And basically, as you move through the world, these neurons will light up um, at these kind of spatial locations you are on this hexagon. So very simple, these grid cells. And so these are... Um, like a, a, you know, a square map, but in this case, it's just a different shape. And so these light up depending where we move. Uh, small moves, be it you know, three feet across the room or 30 feet. And so we have different levels and scales. Um, but still, does, what does that mean to us? Okay, well, it's important for navigation. And uh, as we get older, we tend to lose not only our memories, but also our ability to do spatial navigation. But, you know, we don't need much spatial navigation in our modern times. You know, we say, well, who cares about the grid cells or even hippocampus um, because we have GPS, we never have to use that. But actually, these grid cells not only form the foundation for spatial navigation, but anything basically uh, relationship in the sense of uh, how we identify different mammals. Okay, so there's a tall giraffe and a small bird or a bird's not a mammal or whatever, but you get the idea is we form these relationships, but also our social networks. So, you you form usually these grid cells, exact same grid cells, will say, these three people are close to me, those three are a little bit further away, and those three I don't like, and they're far away. So we use these same grid cells to map a, uh, a mental space, a mental space of different animals or a mental space of our social networks. So the point is we want to do some parkour maybe because we need to exercise these grid cells. And sure, we exercise them when we do these relationship things, so we use it for everything, but the real foundation of what they do is for navigation. So maybe we should do more navigational things. So we should actually be um, not turning the GPS off and trying to find our way home uh, our own way. Why not, right? Sure. When they, you go to they've Tokyo, dumbed us down, in other words. Yes. And so when you're in Tokyo and you're really lost, yes, use your GPS. But maybe when you're wherever said you live in or whatever town you live in, Go to a different place. You don't have to follow the same map every time. Drive somewhere or better, exercise, do your parkour, ride your bike, run. But instead of doing the same route all the time, just, you know, be a little bit adventurous. And like, okay, it's, oh, I'm, I have to get back to the house at that tall building in that range. Or actually go out in the wilderness, which obviously we also know is good for us. Right. Or so you would follow the signs on the highways <laughs> to get home instead of... You, you might, which is maybe the way it was done in the olden days, the um, take out a map, look at, you know, follow the road signs, take this exit. I remember I, I grew up in Boston and I remember that uh, there was this sign and, and it said New York. And I thought you just got on that highway and you were in New York. It's actually four hours away. <laughs> but uh, another question I have for you is, uh, does this relate to PowerPoint presentations as well? These grid cells? Um, you know how there's so many presentations that are done using a PowerPoint. Has that also dumbed us down? Uh, do we need lighting up? Uh, do, do our brains light up or need to light up a bit more when we, we're thinking of it ourselves? Uh, yes. And um, 
maybe I'm not directly answering your question, but uh, in the sense of an easier way or one way to study is actually called a memory palace. So instead of just a two-dimensional thing, you put things in three dimensions. So if you anything you can abstract and put into a 3D spatial relationship will probably help you remember the PowerPoint thing. Um, but going back to navigation is don't even use road signs. You know, use kind of more internal navigation. Again, maybe if you're going from New York to Boston, you have to use road signs. Right. But if you're traveling around Vancouver, you know, don't look at the road sign. Just like, okay, I'm heading in the general northwest direction. You know, the sun's there. The tall building's there. I know that's where my house is or whatever. So, you know, really use your spatial navigation to exercise that. And also, it's a, a treasure hunt. Make fun. Have fun. So it's a little bit more intuitive. Yeah. Then and and what would be the benefits then for people as they age if they practice this and and are we going to see changes in the brain if people don't? Yeah, and we haven't quite done those studies yet, um, but the researchers are speculating that this is fundamental and that why not exercise the base layer of your uh, memory slash abstraction system? Like this is basically how we think is with these grid cells at at, at many levels, not all levels, of course, and so. Do the foundation of doing the hippocampus uh, grid-based navigation. Forget about your GPS. You know, explore and have fun in the world. And so sometimes when people um, lose their spatial navigation uh, ability, people with dementia or Alzheimer's, they're often provided with a caregiver who does it for them. So is this something that we should be encouraging people with memory loss um, to exercise their memory, if you will, their hippocampus, by trying to find where they're going by themselves? Is this part of a memory care program? In other words, a lot of long-term care or a lot of um, in-home care services will have memory care programs, but I haven't seen um, anything related to this uh, with respect to that. I would say the first step is maybe prevent the loss, right? So use all your spatial navigation so you don't lose it. Um, eventually, you know, assuming we all will lose it, but use it as much as possible. Maybe later on, obviously, you can let, if you are with a care, which obviously you need to be a care because you can't do it yourself, maybe let the person try the best they can. Um, you got nothing to lose by that because at least you're not going to get lost because you're with some care. But, you know, maybe use it before or try to use it to prevent it, just like exercise. It's just like exercise. And it's the same kind of thing, use it or lose it. Yeah. And And so there may be many other... Um, implications for the hippocampus and the grid cells uh, than we realize. Yes, because when you start shrinking the hippocampus, which happens with age, basically even in 70, 80s, or 90-year-olds, the size of your hippocampus uh, correlates with your executive function, your long-term memory, your short-term memory, everything. So again, use it so it doesn't shrink. And basically, it does shrink without using it in the bigger picture. And, and it, just to get a little bit of a visual, it's like a seahorse, about the size yes. of a seahorse in the, at the base of the brain. And um, so is this, do you think this will have implications for all people with Alzheimer's disease? And um, do we need to learn more about this? Again, there's still com- competing arguments what cause Alzheimer's, so we won't go to that. But anything you can do to preserve any structure of your brain is good. And the hippocampus is fundamental for your memory. And it's fundamental for all your thinking. So anything we can do to rescue that would be a good thing for dementia in general. And so it's less reliance on some of the technology that we have. Technology has helped. It's funny because technology has helped so many people um, who may have memory issues. Um, You know, lots of apps out there or, um, you know, for for people with, you know, advancing age and and having challenges. And um, yet it may be something that's, you know, causing us some setbacks as well. 
Yeah, and again, it's a balance. Just like using a cane or using any assisted device. Yes, when you need it, use it, of course. Use your GPS. But before, you know, keep exercising, keep the weight off, do all the right things so you don't have to rely on these assisted devices until you do need them. Right. I really appreciate that because, you know, rarely do we think about the hippocampus in life. <laughs> rarely. <laughs> rarely. You do because you study it and you study the brain in your in your lab. And this is the decade of the brain. You know, I think we have so much to learn about the brain and you probably know so much more than most of us. We're all learning all the time. Right. Yeah. It's very difficult. Do you think that in, in the next decade we'll see some major changes um, with the brain and understand a little bit better how it works and how it functions. And then of course it's transmitting that, you know, from the bench to the, to the people basically. Uh, yes. Like every decade we learn more. We all always want to learn even more. I think the thing that might change this decade is actually using deep learning, machine learning, that there's a lot of cross um, fostering there is that what we learn from the brain, we can make better machine learning, but also sometimes the discovery we do in the deep learning machine learning it's like, oh, maybe that's how the brain does it. And so there's a lot of cross-fostering back and forth. And we, that is beginning to lead to some new discoveries, but very hopeful for the next decade. And I imagine this plays a role in artificial intelligence. Yes, um, exactly. That deep learning yeah. is a form of artificial intelligence. Okay, yeah. So we're going to be seeing big changes, I think, um, coming up. And especially, I think, in healthcare, we're going to see a lot. That's a hope, and we definitely need it. With we, the baby boomers and everything else, we're, we're going to need it. We certainly do need it. Well, Ward Plunet, PhD neuroscientist, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. Thank you. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Um, you know, it's that time of year, you're going to put it all off, the exercise, the um, weight loss, the having more sex, having better sex, um, getting that project completed, all of that. Uh, what is that called? That is called procrastination. Um, and procrastination is basically putting things off. Um, but, and oftentimes it's thought that people put things off because they are lazy. But I picked up a book while I was traveling and it was called The Procrastination Equation, How to Stop Putting Things Off and Start Getting Stuff Done. Now, full disclosure here, <laughs> I get her done. I answer the emails immediately. I, um, you know, I get back to people uh, right away. I tick things off my list. And I've just always been that way in part because I couldn't handle the feeling of that something was late or that something was not going to get in on time or that something was hanging over my head. I was raised to believe work before play. And so that's what I did. And so I went on this, um, this website, which was called procrastination abridged. And I took, uh, the procrastination test, and I'll give you my results. And it said, according to, and you have to be pretty honest with them. According to your results, you rarely, if ever, procrastinate. If a task needs to be done, you tackle it almost immediately. When it comes to unpleasant tasks, most people will do whatever they can, consciously or not, to avoid them. However, you don't seem to be the type who will make excuses or wait until the last minute to do something. I typically don't like to do that. I like to be at the airport two hours ahead, um, be at the gate, literally, um, at least an hour ahead of time, because I I don't like that feeling, but some people like that feeling. And then according to this book, um, the, uh, the author was Dr. Piers Steele. Uh, he feels that people, it's not that people are lazy. It's that people, it's, it's a bit of self-harm actually. Um, and it's, they feel that 
he feels a procrastination is effectively irrational. Um, and it doesn't make sense to do something that you know is going to have negative consequences. That's that thing. If, if you don't study for a test or if you, um, uh, put things off or you are having company and you haven't cleaned up the house, um, there's this chronic cycle of procrastination because of an inability, they say, not me, to manage negative moods around a task. So um, procrastination isn't a unique character flaw or a mysterious curse um, on your ability to have time management skills or to manage your time, but it's a way of coping with challenging emotions and negative moods that are that are induced by certain tasks, which typically are boring um, or and which can be like housekeeping can be boring or organizing your closet can be dull. Um, but the moods that we see around these activities are typically boredom, anxiety, insecurity, frustration, and resentment, uh, self-doubt, and other emotions, negative emotions. And so this is what people have difficulty with. So they're effectively saying in this book, and it was quite an interesting book, and so many people suffer from procrastination. Um, so they are basically saying that it's an emotion emotion regulation issue. Um, and so there's a, a new body of research that's coming out that um, centers around rumination, self-blaming thoughts that many people have when they procrastinate. So um, it's a very interesting um, phenomenon, basically, that um, people will procrastinate knowing that they will have those negative feelings and those negative thoughts around it. Um, so there's a, a relief that people feel when, um, when procrastinating that makes the cycle worse. So when people put it off, put an activity or a a duty or an obligation off, they actually have a sense of relief and they feel a little bit better. And But that actually perpetuate, perpetuates that procrastination cycle and it makes it um, particularly difficult. And so people who procrastinate often have problems in work um, because they haven't gotten the project in um, or in relationships because they haven't filled the car with gas or, you know, gone food shopping or what cleaned the house or or whatever, made the reservations for dinner. Um, and so there are, these are basic behaviors that um, people can um, be uncomfortable. Um, they have a, they get that sense of comfort that they've put it off. And then they have that issue, the issues around negative emotions because they have put it off. So it's just, I thought it was just something interesting uh, and to be aware of that it's not necessarily a bad habit procrastination, but it may be um, related to how you feel and how comfortable you are with certain negative emotions, um, which certainly procrastination can lead to a multitude of negative emotions. So get her done, get it done. This year, 2020 is the year to um, lose weight, get exercising. Again, that's the most important thing. Do it every single day and do it two or three times a day, quite frankly. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.